You're listening to the Straight to Video Podcast with Rob Lane. How's it going and welcome along to a brand new week of Straight to Video Podcast. Hope you had a great weekend. I got to spend it in Liverpool at the Liverpool Comic Con for a return visit with my arcade frames, which some of you know that I make. Had a great time selling with all the other amazing traders and had a really fun weekend. So if you came along and said hello, I really appreciate it. On today's podcast, I had the total pleasure of speaking to Pearl Lowe. Pearl has been on quite the journey since beginning her career as a singer-songwriter during the 1990s, right in the heart of the huge Britpop explosion with her bands Powder and later the band Lodger, the latter featuring her future husband-to-be Danny Goffey of Supergrass. And following her time in music, she's returned to her early creative fashion roots, which she showed huge promise for as a young girl and is now a hugely successful fashion designer, interior designer and author with several published books including her autobiography but also the latest book Faded Glamour by the Sea which is out now and documents her amazing renovation project on a house she brought by the sea in East Sussex. This was a really fun and upbeat chat with Pearl who was really warm and welcoming to frankly someone like me who has no clue when it comes to fashion and design but she was also more than happy to chat all about her time growing up in the 80s and all the amazing people she met on her journey through music in the 1990s so i think you'll enjoy listening before we dive in i had a great time hooking up with my friends richie and mark of dead school coffee last week at the call of the wild festival which they were sponsoring i also got a sneak peek at their new look which is launching soon as well as some new artwork which all looks amazing so i recommend you get in early and check out their ground and full bean rock and roll coffee over at deadschoolcoffee.co.uk and if you add the promo code stv on checkout that will bag you 50 15% off your order. Also, a big shout out and thank you to the latest straight to video patron, Dave Solomon, for joining our Patreon page. Very cool to have you on board, mate, along with all the other great supporters. If you want to be like Dave and get behind the scenes access to this show, a private Facebook group, early heads up on guests, and some exclusive straight to video merchandise, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash stvpod for all the information. Alright, if you want to learn more about the cool and creative stuff Pearl is involved in, along with their new book, Faded Glamour by the Sea, then visit pearllow.co.uk. But right now, please enjoy my straight-to-video chat with Pearl Lowe. How you doing? You all right? Yeah, really good. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks ever so much for doing this with us. Oh, no, such a pleasure. I want to say a thank you right from the start, though, as I think after almost 200 episodes of this show, this is probably the first interview I've had where my wife was pretty impressed with the guests. <laughs> I've chatted to musicians from our favourite bands, actors, but your name was the first one I could tell. She was like, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice to hear. Um Throughout your career and journey, you've been able to have like success in many areas from music through fashion, interior design and a successful book career. And you have your new book, Faded Glamour by the Sea, which is out now. If it's cool, I'd love to trace that journey a little bit and touch on the music and stuff. If you grew up in London and I think the creative bug was there right from the start. I believe your mum had a boutique shop 
in Covent Garden. In Covent Garden, yeah. Which she allowed you to design your own collection to be sold. Was you like 10 years old? Yeah, I was 10. The worst thing is, I think it was pretty bad. I remember they were sort of like sweatshirts and they had like things coming off them. I mean, I thought they were great, but at the time, now thinking about it, I don't think they sold very well. So, I mean, I was always sort of, even at that age, kind of cutting up clothes buying things and then, you know, customizing them and stuff and never satisfied with what I could find on the high street. <laughs> what was you inspired by at that age? Who was you looking at in magazines or TV or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, even, I mean, I remember at 11 buying The Face and I did, you know, just getting all those magazines and I was really into... I was really into the Buffalo. I don't know. I mean, everyone's probably too young to remember this, but they were like this kind of movement of creatives. They were like photographers, stylists, models, musicians, and Nick Kamen was in it and Barry Kamen, his brother. And, and then there was this guy who I ended up living in his flat called Jamie Morgan, who was the photographer, who then, weirdly enough, shot my daughter Betty at nine for this piece in ID on rock star children. <laughs> so it was really, really, it's a sort of massive kind of, but I loved them. And I used to just look at their lives and think how fantastic they were and wanted to emulate them really. Do you think that kind of instilled an early confidence in you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it made, it made you think that, because they were from London and it made you think that anything was possible. And also, because up until that point, I hadn't really seen people that had, you know, kind of created that kind of scene, you know, where everyone's doing something. I love that. It's just sort of like, you know, like the Bloomsbury set, you know, they're sort of everyone's really creative and they're all doing different things, but they're all friends and it's all really fun. You know, that's kind of what I felt about them, but also the fact that they were really stylish. And when I was in my early teens, I got into Vivian Westwood and I used to work in boutiques and save up to buy, you know, her corset tops and which weren't that expensive as, as they are now. So I was really into kind of Pam Hogg and, you know, those kind of early punky. Well, they weren't that early, but yeah, the punky kind of style. Was your friends as deep into it as you were or was you like on your own path? I was definitely on my own path at that point. It was weird, actually, because I grew up in North London and people there thought I was weird. You know, so they just thought I was just like, you're so crazy. I really wasn't crazy at all. But um, it wasn't until I got older and, and I, I sort of started going to clubs. I started going to the WAG club and places like that and Subterranea on a Friday night that I started to meet my, not my posse, but the people that I ended up, you know, who I'm still friends with today, you know, dancing on stage. And I just finally found people that seemed to be in the same, well, into the same things as I was. Was music like very important to you at the same time then? Yeah, I mean, music's always been really important to me as a really young age. I mean, as a really young girl, I just was obsessed with music. And and then when I was in the club, you know, when I was in the club scene, I missed the early indie scene because I was getting all the dance records and stuff. And I was kind of, you know, DJing and we were putting on nights. I was a proper party girl, you know, like kind of really young, but really into that kind of scene. And so it wasn't until early 90s that I got into indie for my band in 93, I think. And that's when I sort of got into indie music. I think you said in an interview, you were talking about being in America when Nirvana exploded. Was that a big thing for you? Yeah, because my dad was obsessed with Miami. And so he bought a place there. And so we spent, you know, a lot of time in Miami. What did you like about Miami? I don't know. What he, at one point he was going to, him and my mum were going to just live there and stay there and and then it was just because my brothers and I were in the UK that they didn't do it. But 
I think he liked the weather, he liked the way of life, he just liked the food, he just everything about it. So any opportunity, because he worked really hard, he'd just take my brothers and I off to Miami. And so I'll never forget being in a club and hearing, you know, hearing the first Nirvana song, you know, the well, the famous one. And just going, what is this? <laughs> what kind of club was it? Was it like an indie rock club? Or? I can't really remember. I just remember with my two friends from London. Yeah, maybe it was just like kind of a rock club. Because then I got in, I got into Pearl Jam. And I, was, I think I just really fancied Eddie Vedder. And I just sort of like thought he was amazing. And then then I got into, you know, Alison Chet, all of that, the whole scene. And I would go and see them play. And then when I was in my band, I started playing at festivals with them. So that was really kind of cool. That was like my ambition was just to play at festivals. And I played Reading twice. And that was, that's all I wanted. It was literally, I want to play Reading. Had you been to Reading as like a fan prior to that? Yeah, I was a massive fan. I loved Reading. That was my favorite festival because it was the kind of rocky one. And I went to see Suede there. And I remember like seeing Brett in the crowd going, oh my God, that's Brett Anson. And it's so weird because Brett became my friend and was there the night I met Danny. And now he's moved to Somerset, literally 15 minutes away from us. And I see him all the time. (laughs) So it's kind of weird. (laughs) I love that. How did your family feel when you started to get involved with playing in bands? Because I think you said whilst your mum had her own shop, the family itself had quite an academic background. So was it like, what are you doing? (laughs) Both my brothers are lawyers and my mum's a businesswoman and so is my dad. And they just thought I was weird. I mean, my mum didn't tell any of her friends that I was in a band. And then I did this BBC thing and I was on television. I did two things and they were all ringing her going, I've just seen Pearl on television. You didn't tell me she was in a band. You know, it's like kind of, she was like, oh, she was quite embarrassed, I think. Because in those, I mean, I suppose in the early 90s, I guess it wasn't that cool. Like, I don't know. Like, or she just wanted me to be, I guess she wanted me to be a fashion designer, actually. Because <laughs> she kept saying to me, you're so talented. You always, you know, you wear things and then they're on the catwalk the next year. And you've really got to, you've got an eye and that's really, you know, unique. And you've got to really kind of try and use that. And I just didn't listen. I was just sort of, you know, mum, I just want to be on stage. I just want to be, you know, that's all I wanted to do. Was it a tough decision for you to go down? I mean, it's a somewhat unpredictable path. Fashion and design would have perhaps been the more stable choice, but I know how it is when music, it's all consuming and it's very tunnel vision. But I mean, you'd already become a mum to your daughter Daisy in 89. So did that make the decision harder? Yeah, that was the difficult thing because I always had to leave her with my mum and go on tour and stuff. And I couldn't really... Because I'm, I am quite a nurturing mum. I'm not one of those mums that can just shut off. So I felt a tremendous amount of guilt, and I missed her. And I think that stopped me from really putting my heart and soul into it. And then obviously I had Alfie and Frank, and basically that was, you know, three kids trying to tour with little budget. Because in those days, you know, I left my band Powder and I set up this other band called Lodger, and we were signed to Island Records, and they even got me a nanny because. I was in such a mess, you know, I couldn't kind of cope. And even that was just crazy and not fun. You know, I just, I felt so much guilt. But did you still have that confidence that this is what you wanted to do as well? Was it a weird balance? I was wavering. I was definitely thinking, oh my God, this maybe isn't the right 
career choice for me. I mean, I was quite miserable when I was in my bands. I think it's because, A, I wasn't in a band with another female. I was just with all these men. <laughs> I remember doing this Melody Maker Shaker tour and there were 64 men and me. And that was it. Wow. And I got so excited when the woman from Stella Artois was coming on because she was like the rep. And I thought, brilliant, there's a girl coming. Maybe we can go, I don't know, you know, we can go vintage shopping or... But she was like a bloke too. And she wasn't, she was drinking all the blokes under the table and was not interested in hanging out with me. And I just kept phoning Danny and he was in America and just saying, could you just come here and, you know, rescue me? And I was having a horrible time. From Powder, you went on to be in the band Lodger, which Danny was also in as well. Danny, who also plays drums in uh, Supergrass. You've documented your struggles with addiction and depression in your autobiography, All That Glitters, in 2008. Depression and mental health are much more in the public eye today. Is it important for you to be vocal about what you experienced and hopefully someone can learn from your journey? I would imagine you've had a lot of people reach out to you who have been able to relate to what you went through. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's primarily why I wrote all that glitters was basically because I felt that people just didn't talk about it. And I knew so many mums that were addicts and, you know, they were taking their kids to school and then doing coke all day. And then, you know, sort of, I just thought, gosh, you know, I, if I had been in a working class situation at that time, like I would have had my kids taken away. You know, it was just that I was able to mask it with help that I had, but they weren't safe. You're right. Mental health and addiction are obviously run side by side. And I was depressed. And I think that's what drove me to taking drugs. And I think my creativity is what saved me ever since. So when I put the drugs down and I got clean, I started designing basically. And that's what saved my mental health because now I get such a buzz and a kick out of everything that I do. And then that means that everyone around me, like my husband, my kids, they're all happy because I'm happy. But it took years. I'm not I'm not saying it's an easy process. It is not an easy process. I've had to, you know, I've had counsellors. I've gone to meetings. I've done everything that you're supposed to do in order to stay sober. Now I'm 17 years sober, which is a really long time. And it does sometimes, I think, why, you know, sometimes in a dark moment, I think, God, why did I write that book? Because I've got the label junkie underneath my name. But the great thing is my kids have all read my book they're all at the age now where they can come and talk to me if they've taken too many drugs or if they have a problem with it or mental health or whatever and I understand and I get hundreds of letters and emails from people which is brilliant which is the whole reason why I wrote the book in the first place. Did it feel like a total reset and massively inspired again to find this new path? It was a slow process. It wasn't even that calculated or anything like that. It was literally that I lived in the country and I just was thinking I can't find dresses for my new body because obviously when you're taking drugs, you're very skinny. So I was like just wearing skinny jeans or whatever and it didn't matter. But when I I've put on a stone, I'm a stone heavier than those days. I mean, I look at pictures of myself, I'm like, my God. So I started to, you know, design dresses for my new body, basically. And that's how that happened. And so I, I designed dresses for bigger women, you know, for girls like me that have big boobs and big hips who just don't fit into that designer kind of cut. What was the response then? You was doing them for yourselves. Was you getting feedback from people like, where'd you get that from? That looks amazing. Yeah, exactly that. I'd wear them and not, you know, just because I had to, because I had nothing else to wear. And people come up to me and say, oh my God, can you make me one? Can I have one? Can I? I did kids first because I worked for Peacocks for three years designing for them. So I did my own range and then I went to Peacocks for three years and then that ended because they went into liquidation. And But I, I learned so much being there. And it took me another couple of years to really 
know what I wanted to do. So I ended up designing like kids costumes and stuff. And then I set up my website and it wasn't until about 2017 or 18 that I did my first proper on my website collection. And I was so shocked at the response because it just went nuts. And I had to start employing lots and lots of local seamstresses and So now it's quite a big business. (laughs) We've spoke about the academic background, the business brain of like your mom and all that kind of thing. Do you think that was all in there all the time? You've been picking up on pieces over the years. And when it came to you doing it, it was time to kick that into gear. I'm not a businesswoman. This is the problem. I mean, I'm I'm sort of running my own business and it is, I'm such a creative. I mean, I've had to be because there's no one else to do it, you know, so I have to be clever and sassy and, you know, it's, but it's definitely not in my makeup at all I'm much more creative and it's the side of things that I don't enjoy at all I mean it really honestly if I had my if I had a wish it would be to have a business partner you know I realize at this point that's not available so I just have to do it have you been still able to get your fix of music through Danny's ongoing career or do you just let him do his thing and let him tell you about it between albums and tours Yeah, I let him do his thing. I mean, I do. I feel a bit old now. The last one I went to was Crystal Palace, which is amazing because obviously Supergrass stopped for 10 years and Danny did his own couple of albums on his own and he's just written the funniest book you've ever... I mean, it's about... It's called The Day in the Life of an Aging Rock Star, but it's like him being this rock star. It's kind of autobiography, but it isn't, if you know what I mean. It's, he's sort of in a supermarket, you know, but in his head he's playing in front of like, you know, 100,000 people, but then he's like brought back down to earth by his feminist daughter and he's you know just having to you know all this kind of stuff that school runs and things that you have to do you know so he's done he's just done that and um he's got another album solo album coming out but supergrass reformed in 2019 and unfortunately they got one tour in british tour but the whole year was filled his diary was absolutely filled and it all got you know completely cancelled and it's been like that for two years so now he's going back he's just been in america he's he comes back on Thursday, but it's like a quarter of what they were supposed to be doing. But it's good. You know, he's he's happy. I mean, he's so happy. He played in LA the other night. It was a secret gig and he was playing drums and he looked over and he could just hear this guy going, Danny, Danny. And it was like Dave Grohl by his head, <laughs> you know, and he said, oh my God, Dave Grohl's watching me play drums. And he said that, you know, it was so lovely to see him. And yeah, so it was kind of, he's having a lovely time, but on his own. <laughs> You moved from London to Somerset in 2005 and since released several books on interior design, including the latest Faded Glamour by the Sea, which was, I believe, inspired by your home in East Sussex, which you split your time between. Have you had several homes over the years? Hasn't Danny said you move house so you can just decorate them all over again? Well, also because we run out of money. So we always had to sort of buy. We bought our first house together when when we first met about six months after we met. Because in those days, you could just literally put down 10% and then just anyone would give you a mortgage. It's, it's a bit different now. But at the time, we built a floor and, you know, we saw, my mum obviously is an interior designer and she has all the sort of workmen. So we just put an extra floor and we made money. And then we thought, oh, this is quite good. And then we bought another house and then we did the same thing. We sort of decorated it, did it all up and then flipped it, basically. So we did that a lot because it was quite tough to make money at that time but poor kids I mean I think they moved I think my son said he moved 15 times in 15 years are they getting really good at making new friends at new schools (laughs) well actually weirdly enough we tried to keep you know obviously when we're in London they were in the same school we did go to Hampshire and they were at a school for three years in Hampshire 
And then they stayed at the same school in Somerset. So it wasn't too bad. We didn't move them around. Betty's only been to two schools. So we're okay, I think. Can Danny tell when inspiration hits you? If you're out and about and if you see something cool, is it like, this is going to turn into something big and a lot of work? He does. He's like, oh my God, here she goes again. He knows when I've got an idea and I'm really, really strong and really passionate about it, that I'm not going to let it go. So like this seaside thing was definitely not his idea i like the definitely not his idea i love that (laughs) definitely not his idea and he grumbled for a whole year i mean honestly he hasn't stopped complaining about it and it's finally finished and the other day we went down there and he went i really love it here and i just oh you've complained for a year and now you're saying you love it and then i hear him talking to people going yeah we bought this great house you know (laughs) It might be like secretly putting a fire under you to like make you think, I'll show him, I'll make this look amazing. That might be what he's doing. I don't know. I don't know. He's just, he's not a risk taker and I am, you know, so I'm constantly having to convince him it's the right idea. But I think with the seaside house, because I didn't want to go back to London because I can't be in a city anymore. It's just not for me. It's just, I need to be around nature and, and I love nothing more than being by the sea. So that's perfect. Imagine going back there now. Now you've made this move and you're in all this space. I couldn't imagine what it would be like for the headspace to go back in somewhere so built up. There's no turning back now. No, I know. But he really wants to go back to London. So we kind of have a little bit of a daily battle about it. But I just know, I mean, even that, you know, I left when I was like mid thirties, I think. And then I think I'll go back. I'll be the oldest rocker in town. (laughs) Just like, you know, I'll still be wanting to go to the Camden clubs and bars and everything and I'll just be like you know grandma basically I think Camden's changed quite a bit I know (laughs) I've heard what are some of your favorite places to hunt for items and inspiration I think you've described yourself as a hoarder so are you always picking things up for use later on yeah I'm terrible I've actually had to stop myself from going to shops I love buying beautiful things so if I see something I just want it and we don't have any space anymore but yeah I find things on Etsy eBay And then I find things on, you know, I have like antique dealers. So I have my specialist shop. So in my new book, Vader Glamour by the Sea, it's really near Hastings and St. Leonard's. And there's some fantastic places down there, you know, like the French Depot and there's Merchant 57, Hawk and Dove, you know, the Rye Emporium. I mean, there are so many places that you can go and find fantastic treasures. Yeah. Moving to a new house, like, let's see what this town or village has got. I'm going to hunt down all these places. Yeah. And also, I think now, because everyone's aware that it's really good to buy antiques, like it's really good for our carbon footprint. It's really important to sort of recycle, upcycle. So it's become quite trendy. But I don't mind that because I think it's important to get that message out and to really think about our future kids and grandchildren, whatever. <laughs> Any TV shows in the pipeline with you going around all these shops? That'd be a great one. I did do one with Mariella Frostrop. That was really funny. We did the antique road trip together. But no, I haven't got any. I'm not great on TV, I don't think. I just think I get a bit nervous. I don't know. It's just not my field, I don't think. Because you did four rooms, right? Oh, God, yeah. I did four rooms. That was about four years ago. I used to love that show. Yeah, everyone says that. I remember meeting the, you know, the comedian Ben Miller, and he said it was his favourite show. I was like, really? (laughs) Just like, yeah, it was kind of a weird one, actually. Again, I didn't really enjoy it that much, but... 
I got a lot of experience. I mean, the worst thing was they brought in all these weird things and I didn't ever want to buy anything. And of course, you've got to spend your own money as well. And the producers kept coming up to me saying, you know, you haven't bought enough. You know, you've got to buy something. I said, well, bring some great things and I'll buy it. But I'm not buying rubbish. And all the other like dealers kept saying, oh, yeah, we've got a room full of crap that we bought from the show. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I've got enough crap. I don't need any more. That's some pretty bad research from the producers. You think they'd like, this person likes to buy this stuff. So every now and again, we'll focus focus on that kind of thing see if she bites see if she goes for it well I would if they'd have done that I would have 100% but honestly it was really like pulling teeth I mean it was it's quite hard is there anything you've brought years ago that's still to be used like I'll use it one day just got to find the perfect room I've got a bath that I bought on four rooms <laughs> that's in our garden it's so lovely it's got all flowers you know tin bath and Danny keeps saying to me that bath is just filling up with dirty water it's now got a dead rat in it <laughs> just and a bird I was like, oh dear. It's just sat in our garden. It's very unhygienic. You fell in love with the new house featured in your new book on first sight, I believe. And it was a huge renovation project, but you didn't realise how off the grid it was until you began to move in with like no real heating or hot water. Is that right? No heating, none. And also the worst thing is, you know, this is typical of Danny and I. I remember you know, someone saying to me, how did you not know that it was a biomass? And I said, I don't know. I just don't read paperwork. You know, I just presume that it's got a boiler. I know that sounds incredibly stupid, but we did move in and it was snowing. And there was a note from the previous owners saying, here's some radiators because the biomass, there's a part missing. It's coming from Europe since Brexit. Unfortunately, it's not here. I was like, what? And then, you know, no mattress. I was, I mean, honestly, Danny, just got into bed that night and said we've basically bought a glorified shed <laughs> he was really upset how do you deal with challenges like that do you like just face it head on okay we're in this situation now we need to figure it out i can't begin to tell you how many situations we've had in that house i mean for a year i was in london i had meetings back to back and i had danny ring me up going oh. i was like what what's the matter what's the matter and he's like you have no idea we've got rubbish piling up and i was like oh my god so i just literally googled and i got the first person to, i found one of those man with a van that just went and picked it up within a few hours and i was just like i work quite well under stress so i just kind of you know just sort Right, come on. I'm not going to panic, but he panics. So <laughs> we just do it. We're completely, you know, completely chalk and cheese, basically. Pearl will sort this out. Got it figured out. I've got it. I've got this one. <laughs> oh, Google has. Google will help me out on this one. Yeah, exactly. Thank God for Google. That's all I can say. The book looks stunning and uh, not only features your house, but also those of friends of yours too, I think, who inspire you. You had photographer Dave Watts do the photos. Was it the two of you out at the same time so you could give him ideas or did you just send him to the locations and he sent the photos back? Dave and I had worked together quite a few times and he's actually a local Somerset photographer. He came and stayed at my house and so did Rachel Ashwell. She's got shabby chic shops in LA and, you know, she's really amazing. So the three of us just got in a car and went around just photographing and I was styling, she was art directing and it was a really, really fun experience. Unfortunately, it was COVID and there were many places that we would have liked to have gone to, but weren't, you know, obviously it was the busiest summer on record. And so everything was full, you know, everything in Cornwall. We couldn't even get to Cornwall. I wanted to shoot House of Hackney's house, but we couldn't even get there. They were like, we are full. We haven't even got a night where you can come. So that was a shame. Equally with Helena Christensen, we got 
her to send photos. I mean, I look at the book and I think it's really unique and it's nothing like I've ever seen before. And obviously it's quite a sort of seaside take on British Caesar. We did go to the Libertines Hotel, which was fantastic. I mean, I just walked in and was like, wow, this is exactly how I would have imagined your hotel to be, you know, to the Pete and Carl, you know, because it was really stylish, but, you know, rock and roll and food was great. It's got that black and red feel to it, like the whole Libertines branding. (laughs) Yeah, it was amazing. Honestly, it was so, I really recommend anyone who's going to Margate to stay there because it was, I loved it. I I would have stayed. I mean, obviously we couldn't, but we just took, you know, we took those photos and Carl's been a really old friend of mine for many years and he allowed us to go there, which is great. (laughs) I meant to ask there, were you saying you were friends with Carl from a while ago? When you were starting in bands, who was like the up and coming band on the scene who you'd go and see? Well, I guess in those days, bands like Elastica and... I mean, I loved Elastica and they picked our band to support them on their European and British tour. So I got to hang out with them every night and see them play. So it was great, you know. At that time, I guess they were the ones that I were up and coming and I loved. But they were like, obviously, Blur, The Verve. Very exciting time. So, I mean, God, we I played, I remember supporting The Verve in Wigan, where they're from. It was in this festival. It was amazing. It was such a buzz. And then afterwards, we were staying at this really weird hotel and there was a wedding and we just got up on stage and basically did a set for them. <laughs> we didn't even know. It was just such fun. You know, it just, everything was, yeah, really fun at the, you know, it was nice to be a part of it. Did you realise you were a part of something at the time or is that something in hindsight like, wow, or was you just kind of on the ride at the time? Like, oh, this is great fun. We're having an exciting time. Then you look back and like, wow, that was an incredible moment in music. One of the last big movements, really. Yeah, because it was pre, the internet wasn't it I try and explain this to my kids because my daughter Betty's really into music she's 16 and she's got into the 90s she's really likes the fashion and she's like you're so lucky mummy I wanted to be around then you know she's like that I don't think I really realized I was just in it and they were just my friends and everyone was doing well and actually weirdly enough I'd met Danny because I got taken to one of his gigs by Ian Asprey on the call. I know, how random. He'd come to see one of my shows and asked me if I'd go and see this new band. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I went with him because I, as a kid, again, thought he was fantastic. And then I just, apparently, I just watched Danny the whole time. I was just like, this drummer is insane. Um, but anyway, that we started seeing each other and then literally like a couple of weeks later, you know, his album was number one. And and then I never, saw, I didn't see him for months because <laughs> he was just so busy. But it's, um, it was a mad time. Ian Asprey be taking you to gigs now you live near Brett Anderson from Suede it's just nuts <laughs> yeah, but at that time you know I'm, I'm saying all this but it wasn't it didn't feel like that it, everyone was just musicians and everyone was just friends and I don't know it's, just, it's it's I don't know if it would ever happen again because of the internet yeah I think that's the magic of these scenes though like Britpop scene like around London and then you had like the Manchester scene and even like in America just these small little hubs where everything just suddenly focuses on whether it be LA in the Sunset Strip or Seattle just these little hubs get targeted where it's just a bunch of friends everybody knows everybody I know it was so fun I remember going to Manchester actually we played at the Hacienda I remember it was Black Grape it wasn't the Happy Mondays it was Black Grape who came to see us and then we hung out with them afterwards and it was just so fun like I feel sorry for everyone now because it isn't like that, is it? It's just so different. And I think, like I said, it's going to be difficult for it to happen again. Does your daughter Betty pick your brain on all that kind of stuff? Yeah, all the time because she keeps discovering, you know, she discovers all these brands like, Mum, did you know them? And she's really into fashion as well. 
she's found a cupboard of mine that's just got all my old vintage, you know, kind of designery stuff and vintage stuff. And she's starting to wear it. So she's she's made up. That's awesome. And kind of just to bring it to a close, Pearl, is there a particular project or challenge you're yet to take on, which is still on the bucket list? Yeah, there's a few. I mean, at the moment, I'm trying to get my wallpaper off the ground. So I'm trying to design my own wallpaper. I've started it and I've just got to wait, you know, for my website. I keep tweaking it. It's like, no, it's not right yet. It's not, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So I've got quite a few collabs coming up and I just get these inspired thoughts and have to act on them, really. Are you quite patient with that kind of stuff? You say you're a perfectionist, so you're always tweaking stuff. So it's got to be right before you launch it. Or yeah. is there an impatient side to you as well? Like, I just got to get this out. Yeah, I'm really impatient. That's my problem. But then again, I also realise that once it's out there, it's out there. You know, it's your name, it's your brand. You've got to, you know, just kind of be careful not to dilute it in any way. And so I'm learning. But, you know, I've had so many years in this business. So possibly did some things early on that I regret, you know, but now I don't regret that much anymore. (laughs) It's all part of the journey, making the mistakes and learning from them to bring you to where you are today. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But Oh, thanks for having me on, though. Pearl, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. And uh, best of luck with the new book and all your creative projects. It's been an absolute blast. Thank you. Take care. Big shout out and thanks to the wonderful Pearl Lowe for joining me here on the Straight to Video podcast. Really enjoyed talking to her and I might even have got some added bonus call points with the wife for that one. If you want to learn more about Pearl's career, all her great projects and her new book, Faded Glamour by the Sea, then head on over to pearllow.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this chat and you're new to the podcast, then this along with close to 200 other episodes can be found at stvpod.com along with some straight-to-video music, videos and merchandise. That is all for today's show. Hope you've had fun and thanks for the continued support. And let's chat again soon.